Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. You know, usually I give you some commentary about your rundowns, uh, and you've packed this one very, very well, so I'm very proud of you. You've got all sorts of goodness from the weekend. We want to talk Warriors Thunder, Spurs Cavaliers. I'm sure Anthony Davis is going to figure prominently But somehow, inexplicably, you left off the two biggest victories of the entire weekend, which to me were, you know, you could rank them 1-2 or 2-1. Okay. But it was Milwaukee taking down Toronto in Toronto in overtime. You know, we didn't get a single email from the Canadians this weekend. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) We didn't hear from them in that big grudge match. And then the other one, uh, you know, USA winning the gold medal in curling, Andrew. I mean, another tough blow for our our neighbors to the north. So we didn't hear on either one of those topics at openfloormail at gmail.com, even though we got hundreds of emails on uh, all sorts of, uh, you know, various items. Do you get into the Winter Olympics? Absolutely not. I watched two hours of the curling match. I mean, the, the 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 five score was unbelievable in the eighth end. I don't know if you caught it. it was It was pretty fantastic, dramatic. I mean, it looked like we had sent sort of like the Duluth, Minnesota, you know, bowling league to play curling. I mean, these guys got mustaches. They're flying coach home on Delta. They can't even get the free upgrades by begging on Twitter. I mean, this is not America's best and brightest, but look, they pulled it out. <laughs> Congratulations to them, and the rest of it I punted. Yeah, I there are, there have been years when I've gotten very into the Olympics, but this year, I think with like the all-star break in the middle of it, and we were out in LA, it's actually kind of disgraceful that we were like watching the rookie game and the skills contest instead of the Olympics, but uh, but... I completely spaced out on pretty much all of the events out in uh, Pyeongchang, but um, so that's a good a, a good segue to talking about things that we have paid attention to because it was awesome yeah. to have basketball back. And you're right, there's like five or six different stories we could talk about from this weekend. What do you want to start with? I have Anthony Davis, Jimmy Butler, Warriors, Thunder, Spurs, Cavs, Western Conference, like general chaos. And then we also, at some point, we need to talk about the play in tournament as well. This sounds like you're offering me roulette here. I got my options. Uh, I, w- I think we should start with Anthony Davis because Milwaukee had one heck of a weekend of basketball. First, they go to overtime with Toronto, just crazy game. Valid Shooters is like dunking at the buzzer, you know, falling down, just nutty game. And then they come right back like two days later and play another insane overtime game uh, against the Pelicans. And head to head, New Orleans is just like, for whatever reason, own Milwaukee. But what I thought was the real takeaway from that game was Anthony Davis was in Giannis's head big time. And not only is Anthony Davis putting up these crazy 40-20 lines, doing everything on offense because Cousins has been out and really carrying New Orleans you know, for weeks now, but his defensive presence around the hoop as a help defender using his length really got into Giannis's brain consistently throughout that game. And to me, that was the difference in that game. That's why the Pelicans won that game. Hell yeah. Okay, so so you watched the whole game then, right? I did. Because it was just to, I mean, all right, so first of all, it seems like on the basketball internet today, we're recording this on Monday afternoon, I'll, everybody is now paying respect to Anthony Davis. Um, but to me, and and over the last five games, he's been absurd. Like Friday night, he had 45 and 17 with five blocks and five steals. Like it's just out of control what he's been doing since uh, Boogie went down. And basically he's kind of breathing life into that Pelican season. 
But watching him against Giannis was really eye-opening, man, because a lot of their offense was coming from Drew Holiday, who's also been excellent over the last week or so, um, or the last five games. But uh, but he was just like, it was head-to-head, mano-a-mano with Giannis, and and Anthony Davis was the better player yesterday. And uh, he, it was just kind of a good reminder of, of how outrageous he really is. And part of it made me wish that he was in the East uh, and that he'd been in the East the last few years because I feel like he would have won a, a playoff series or two and would just be kind of a bigger deal. He's He's been kind of suffocated out in the West. But uh, it's it's a good reminder that he's he's basically from another planet. Well, you know, like clockwork, late, late February, early March, all the teams come out of the woodwork with their our guys in the MVP conversation. I mean, we've yeah. seen it with Damian Lillard in Portland. We saw Michael Malone, uh, you know, nominate Nikola Jokic and, and Greg Popovich walked by when he did that and called BS in front of all the reporters, <laughs> making everyone laugh. I mean, this is an annual ritual where it's like, all right, we have to f- uh, fill out the top five ballots. So, you know, let's all throw our candidates forward. Anthony Davis deserves to be in the top five right now to me. No I mean, question. Similar record to the Bucks, playing in a, you know, a tougher conference, probably more adversity when you look at, you know, losing cousins, you, you can argue less help as well. The numbers are out of control, and the consistency factor here, you know, since Cousins went down, has been really, really impressive too. Because to do that, you know, that crazy what forty, fifteen, whatever line you mentioned earlier, like once or twice is is one thing. I mean, Davis is putting up tons of forty point games. He's playing forty plus minutes uh, consistently. You, you kind of worry about that, uh, you know, from his long term perspective in yeah, terms definitely. of how heavily they're relying upon him. Uh, but you know, he's in that valiant category where you got to give him some MVP love because uh, just the sheer effort that's involved. Yeah, and I mean, you mentioned the defense on Giannis. Like, Giannis was going at the rim over and over again in that fourth quarter, and I guess we could we could also talk about the Bucks side of that because they looked pretty disjointed down the stretch. Um, but uh, but Anthony Davis was meeting him over and over again, and the the two way value is, is is pretty insane. Um, and as far as his MVP case, I mean, like he's he's not gonna win it. But I was watching that game, thinking like, look, the West is super close right now, and if the Pelicans were to somehow get to like the fifth or fourth seed. He's like he would not only be in the mix for MVP, but would deserve like a lot of first place votes. Uh, I mean, Harden's case, we'll we'll probably argue about it in a few weeks. It's kind of unimpeachable right now, but um, I like Anthony Davis. I think might be as good or better as a player. No, come on. I mean, it, for the, who's having a better season this year? I, to me, it's Harden. I mean, Dude, everything he's doing is transferring to right. wins. Right, and by the way, I pinned you down on this. I pinned you down on this a week or two ago, and you said, "I because you said Harden deserves the MVP love," and I said, "No, he deserves the MVP." And you said, "Okay, what's the difference?" And I said, "Exactly, he needs to be the MVP." So don't try to wiggle no, out no, of this no, right no, now. No, no, no. no. Look, Harden had forty-one and looked sensational against Denver on Sunday too. Harden is is very good. I'm saying Anthony Davis. One of the parts that I like about watching the Pelicans is it's almost like watching a like middle school basketball team where one player is is just like clearly going to be making varsity one day and they just throw it to him over and over and over again. And that's what he's been doing and making it work. And I think if you put him in a different context, he he could potentially be even more dominant 
than he's been. And uh, all- oh, definitely. Put him in any other context, he's going to be so more dominant. That's I mean, what the, I'm saying. That franchise has been rough in a vacuum, talent-wise. Like Anthony Davis is is up there with with everybody. Like I, I would say, maybe Steph and LeBron are on a different level, but like he's in the conversation with KD, and so. No, don't overreact, man. You don't have to do this. Like, he's had a really, really nice stretch, but come on. You know, he's he's where he should be, like sixth, seventh in the NBA overall. And, you know, if he proves it in the playoffs and wins a series, then we're going to bump him up. But come on. I think we still need to give love to a guy like Harden, um, you know, in this conversation, head-to-head. Okay, fair enough. I I, I don't agree. <laughs> like, if, if you ask me who I could start a team with right now, I would choose someone like Anthony Davis or or potentially even someone like Giannis over Harden. I think Harden in that well, system they're, they're is they're they're three perfect. or four years younger. I mean they're three or four years younger, right? Mm-hmm. I mean that's that's a big that's a big part of it. Yeah. You know? I mean Harden's at his prime right now. He's probably not gonna have a better season than he's having today. I mean Anthony Davis, God knows, in two years, who knows what he's gonna be putting up. You know, you give him a real support staff, uh, you know, his numbers could even be crazier. Let me ask you this. If you're the Pelicans and you're watching how Anthony Davis plays without cousins what do you pay cousins or you know does it change your thinking about well, how important yeah. he is to your to your future and so that's that's kind of the other side of this coin is first of all anthony davis over the last couple of years it's almost been like a an urban legend like some of the numbers that he puts up and yet nobody really watches pelicans games or cares about the pelicans and even after the last week where they've won five straight like i'm still not bullish on their future either this season or beyond and so not to be the wet blanket, but if I were him, I would still be looking to push my way out of there at some point. And, and New Orleans, I think they have to pay Boogie because they're in a situation where Boogie is not going to have a ton of other offers and he's still talented enough to where like you, they're not going to have any alternative that's close to as, as good as, or valuable as Boogie is. So I don't blame them for for buying in there, but if I were Anthony Davis and I were looking at this objectively, I would still be reluctant to like buy in. Yeah, the tricky part is like, you know, Cousins, if he comes back healthy, is worth a max for his production, but is he worth a max in the fact that, you know, through the angle of does he make Anthony Davis's life easier or does he make Anthony Davis better? And I think what we're seeing here lately is kind of evidence that like, Yeah, they're working pretty well together, but Anthony Davis also works pretty well with four random stiffs. By the way, Rondo throwing that pass away in the middle of overtime, like Anthony Davis is overcoming (laughs) some serious night-to-night adversity with his teammates. You know what I mean? Yeah, the fact that Boogie and Anthony Davis worked at all is a testament to how dominant they've both been over the last two years. I don't know if there's that much chemistry there as opposed to like... They're both just incredible, and there's going to be a higher floor uh, with when both of them are on the floor together. But um, I don't know. So let's move on. Well, yeah, let's talk the Western kind of chaos because you mentioned it's possible that Davis, you know, does this MVP run and he gets them into like the third or the fourth seed. Like it's not inconceivable, but it's still possible they miss the playoffs because it's just so tightly packed. And I think that's sort of the big takeaway. Uh, to me, of the weekend, also because Jimmy Butler goes down in Minnesota, where the teams like the Clippers and the Jazz, who are on the outside looking in, 
right now in terms of the playoff picture, yeah. they can absolutely ruin teams' seasons. Because I think if you look at the Clippers and the Jazz, like if they made the playoffs this year, great, especially after the, the Clippers traded Griffin. You know, it, it kind of becomes one of those things where, you know, we're going for it, but it's not like the end of the world if we miss. But look at Denver, Oklahoma City, New Orleans, Portland, Minnesota. Those five teams if they any of those teams misses the playoffs, it's such a disaster for their organization. I mean, Minnesota, they go all in with Jimmy Butler to kind of end the playoff drought. Denver's really been pushing hard to kind of turn the corner. Oklahoma City, clearly, I mean, the implications of Paul George and everything else going on there. Uh, New Orleans, you know, Anthony Davis's future is here hanging up in the air. And then with Portland, it's like, do you want to waste a year of Damian Lillard's prime when he's playing very, very well here lately? And, you know, you got questions there. Does the front office keep uh, keep its job? Uh, if they miss the playoffs, you know, how do you retool that organization? I think all five of those teams are so desperate to make the playoffs that if one gets bumped out, it's going to have huge, huge ramifications. Yeah, I mean, and looking at the West right now, so we've got Spurs hanging on to the third seed, 36 and 25. T-Wolves in fourth, uh, who are basically tied uh, with the Spurs right now. Blazers in fifth, Pelicans in sixth, Thunder in seventh, and Denver in eighth. And then you've got the Jazz and Clippers right behind them. And there's literally like one and a half games separating each of these teams. But what's striking to me is uh, I'm not that confident in trusting like most of these teams. Like I, I believe in the Nuggets. I feel like they are beginning to get some momentum and get things headed in the right direction down the stretch here. And provided Millsap doesn't sort of throw off the rhythm that they've developed over the last month, they should be in good shape. I believe in the Spurs because Greg Popovich is Greg Popovich and uh, like they'll find a way to make it work uh, as they did in Cleveland yesterday. But like, I don't know the, the, the T wolves we've talked about it before, even in some of their wins throughout this season, they have looked kind of shaky and Jimmy Butler was out there solving like 60 to 70% of their problems, uh, particularly as, as far as closing games and take him off the court. Like I don't really trust Wiggins to like be that steadying presence. And then the team that I really no. don't trust is the thunder, man. Like they have looked rough over the last couple weeks and they've beaten a, like a bad Grizzlies team. They they had to serve. Honestly, the the game that did it for me is watching them like eke out a uh, buzzer beating win over Sacramento, where they just looked disjointed and kind of <laughs> lifeless. Like basically, if you're going to the wire with the Kings, everyone should be concerned. Yeah, I mean, on the Minnesota point, it's not going to be Wiggins, right? It has to be Towns. Like, doesn't Towns have to put on his Anthony Davis, you know, cape and go well, 40-20 here for them for like a month to to pull them through this? And, you know, you mentioned the splits on and off with Jimmy. When Jimmy's on, Minnesota's net rating was basically the same as the third-place team in the league, Toronto. When he's off so far this season, it's been they've been 29th. Uh, which is like the Kings, right? Yeah. That's as wide of a golf as you can get. And so, and they don't go very deep in their rotation, as we know. And he's huge to what they're doing on both offense and defense. They have a really tough stretch coming up here where they're playing a lot of really good teams. Uh, you know, it's very possible that they could be, you know, back on that playoff bubble eighth or ninth within a week or two. And then they're just fighting for their life every single night down the stretch of the season. Uh, what I'm wondering, though, is 
do you bring Butler back? I mean, I think that we know the answer for Minnesota side is <laughs> yes. yes, absolutely yes. It's the same as like Washington with John Wall, and you you wheelchair him out onto the court and, and you try it, right? Well, see, but that's the do you, thing, that's how do you thing. think? How do you think a smarter organization would handle the Butler situation? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I think that a smarter organization, you're probably right, would take the long view uh, and and hold him out. But it's it. I think part of it is the way that Jimmy himself is wired, and so I don't know how many teams would would have like the institutional confidence to to look at Jimmy Butler and be like, I know that you are a psychopath and think you can come back from this in three weeks, but you're gonna have to sit out and and come back next October. Like there just aren't many teams with the backbone to do that. Um, I, the, the interesting thing that I've wondered about is like, how much of this do you pin on Tibbs? Because that's obviously like the first thing that everyone jumps to when any player who's been ridden that hard gets injured. But the other side of it is like that he was coming off eight days of rest and it was just kind of like a freak accident. And so I'm not sure. I mean, we talk about rest constantly. I'm not sure what to what to think after this one. Well, he leads the league in minutes played. I mean, that's a red flag. Yeah. Uh, they only have three lineups that's, that have played at least 100 minutes together this season. <laughs> he's and in he's all a part three. of all three of them. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so it's like, I mean, like he is the outlier in the entire league right now. And so he goes down. I mean, do you necessarily blame that uh, on, you know, Tibbs' treatment of him? I don't know, but he is the type of player at this stage of his career when you see the track record of other guys who have rushed back. I mean, you know, Brandon Roy is the example everyone's going to cite. And, you know, hopefully he doesn't come back eight days after surgery like Brandon Roy did. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, you, you want to be careful there. And the problem is when you come in with such a clear playoff mandate and the entire season is geared around making the playoffs and you you get that close and the whole plan kind of works, it's coming together, uh, you get into this crazy dogfight, the pressure is going to be just overwhelming. And I think the smartest teams would say, look, it's not worth it. You know, Jimmy, you know, we want to get five more years out of you. Uh, this was the, the start of something special. Let's see what else we could do. But I don't think that's going to be their thinking. I, and I think you're right. Jimmy is the kind of player you have to protect from himself. And that makes me nervous too because yeah. uh, he's not 24 right now. You know, uh, you know, he, and I think he realizes that too. I think that's part of the reason why he wants to get back so badly is, you know, he's in his prime and you know he's probably thinking, you know, how many more shots do I get like this? That's what I was gonna say. Also, um, is that like, I this is a kind of a depressing way to spin it, but I feel like on some level, some of the damage to Jimmy Butler's body has already been done. And like, if you ask me to look across the all NBA candidates this year and and pick one player who's going to like drop off a cliff in the next three or four years, it would probably be Jimmy Butler, which is um, a bummer to think about. But he just seems like someone who's who's not going to age very well, which is something that's been true of a lot of the Tibbs guys over the years. Uh, And (laughs) in the short term. He is so stubborn and has been so superhuman over the last few years that no return date would surprise me. It would not surprise me if we looked up on like Thursday night and and the and Jimmy Butler was out there for the Wolves. But long term, I think there's cause for concern because even if he does get healthy, like the the roster is going to get very expensive over the next few years, and the Wiggins deal complicates everything. So like. Honestly, I want the best for the Wolves now because the future is going to be pretty complicated. 
You know who you sound like is the guy at the the craps table who's like, look, I've already lost two thousand tonight. You know what's another <laughs> what's another five hundred? Or you're the guy at the bar. I've already spent two thousand on my tab. You know what's another round of uh, champagne for everybody? It's like, well, look, I mean, he's already been running to the ground for five years. So what's the sixth? It's, you know, yeah, and, and, and I, it's, it doesn't it's, feel it's great. Like I don't want it to end that way for Jimmy, but. Uh, and so who in the West do you like right now and to, to make a run and, and sort of like carve out some security down the stretch? No, I think what you said was great in terms of like, who do you really trust? And the answer is basically no one. I mean, I could see almost all those teams I mentioned earlier follow, uh, falling out. I think the odds that like a team like Minnesota falls out much higher than San Antonio. We got some questions last episode about, oh, are the Spurs going to fall the way out? I mean, I think... Uh, the Timberwolves now are really, you know, ripe for that kind of, uh, you know, major regression. Uh, but th- at the same time, do you really trust the Clippers or the Jazz to push into it? And then how much does it all matter? I mean, if we're looking at a situation where, you know, basically three through nine or 10 is that tightly packed, doesn't that tell us it's just a two-team conference? Yeah. Well, and and potentially a one-team conference, which is a good segue to Warriors Thunder on Saturday night. I was out with friends for part of that game, saw the score, got to a TV when it was 60 to 59 Golden State with like eight minutes left in the third quarter. And from there, we got to see like fully weaponized Warriors. They went nuts. Steph got hot in that third quarter. Draymond was locked in and talking shit. And it was just like... And when they get rolling with that home crowd, they're particularly impossible. And I don't know. I walked away being like, all right, so I've been on the pod for like the last month hemming and hawing over the Warriors when in reality they are still like so much better than anyone else in the league. Yeah, I mean, it's remarkable that you don't even mention Kevin Durant's 28 points. I mean, I'm sure that <laughs> well, just got buried. No, he, look, KD was great. And KD is typically really, really good. I mean, like, his his baseline is as high as anyone in the league. But, like, it it's a particular thing with the Warriors when Steph starts hitting those threes, and especially at home, like, they just, the the momentum is really tough to counter. Yeah, I mean, a couple of thoughts from that game. First of all, you know, I felt bad for Alex Sabrinas. Uh, it looked really, really rough. I mean, they were obviously picking on him, but I just pulled the box score up. I didn't even realize this. I mean, he was a minus 30 in 20 minutes. That's not easy. <laughs> that's, <tough. laughs> that's, that, that's the level where you don't even get a play in the playoffs because uh, what we saw during the regular season was uh, was not good enough. Um, also, I thought it was just very unfortunate because Paul George had such a bad shooting game. Yeah, and so he you don't want to make excuses for Oklahoma City. Uh, but I think the gap between those two teams is narrow than it seemed just because that was like, you know, PG's probably worst shooting game of the entire season. On top of that, though, the takeaway from Oklahoma City's two wins over Golden State was, hey, they've got some matchup advantages, right? Like Steven Adams poses some real problems for them. Yep. The length on the perimeter, you know, makes them uncomfortable. But you know, it's kind of restoring order the other way. It's like Golden State has a lot of matchup advantages over Oklahoma City too. And they come in individual forms, guys like Steph uh, and, and Kevin Durant, where, you know, you may have the next best thing at those positions in terms of like, you know, guys you'd want to go up against them. But those guys are still the best at their positions in the league. You know, Steph's still the best point guard, you know, in terms of running an offense and being in charge. And Kevin Durant's still, you know, the best, like kind of long scoring, uh, you know, small forward, uh, you know, depending on how you want to categorize him and LeBron, uh, you know, he's still winning that matchup over Paul George, you know, 
eight out of ten times. You know what? Right? And, so uh, Paul George gets a lot of love as the best two-way player in the league. Like that's sort of like the go-to way to pay respect to Paul George. I that's just not true, right? Like I, I think KD is more consistently at that level than George, and I think Paul George can have nights where he looks like Kevin Durant with slightly better defense, but I mean watching that game on Saturday night and and just watching them over the last few years, like George isn't really in the same league. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, Katie has been, you know, clearly a cut above for a long time. And uh, I think Paul George just gets that label because he's the traditional perimeter lockdown defender. I mean, he's basically the Kawhi stand in, you know, everyone misses Kawhi. So they want to throw that label out there. I mean, Kevin's defense is uh, more complicated because He's guarding, you know, the perimeter, and then he's also guarding around the basket. I mean, I think he's helping you in more ways than Paul George can help, and that's been an issue for Oklahoma City. Is like if if Adams is not in the paint protecting everything, uh, you know, they can get you know picked apart and, and diced on cuts and stuff because they just don't have a lot of size, you know, other than Adams. And uh, you know, Paul George isn't you know uh, the, the main problem there. It's a guy like Carmelo Anthony who just cannot defend that position, uh, you know, very well at all. Yeah. But I think you know, if Paul George was like seven feet tall and had KD's wingspan, that would really help Oklahoma City. Totally. I think what I what I'm trying to say is that Paul George is consistently very good and occasionally great, whereas Kevin Durant is always very good and usually great. And so to me, they're just like a different category of superstars. Yeah. And I mean, another guy to point out flipping it though, Iguodala, I thought won his matchup really clearly in that game. And you look at Oklahoma City's bench, it's been a mess all season long. You take Robertson off the court, it's even more of a mess. And so when you have that functional depth that can carry you through tough uh, shooting stretches, like Clay didn't have that great of a game, right? But they have uh, alternate options that Oklahoma City just can't get over. I mean, OKC's highs are very high, but their lows are very low because something as simple as an off-shooting night for Paul George can spoil everything. Hey, what what did you think of the Zaza fall? You know, I mean, just, you know, perfectly landing on Russell Westbrook's (laughs) leg, you know, drawing not only a a really quality Hall of Fame level side eye from Russell Westbrook, but then also a post-game apocalypse from Westbrook, Paul George, Kyrie Irving on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, you know, a couple other players, I think Lillard might've chimed in too. I mean, Zaza has now crossed the line from like, eh, we we're kind of subtly saying he's dirty to everyone calling him out as dirty simultaneously around the league. Every time he does something. It's a good question. I'd forgotten about it and I'm torn because I really like Zaza and I've loved having him in the in the mix with the Warriors the last 2 years. I mean, he, like his interplay with Clay has been great. He's just a great character. Um but and the other thing I would say is like he's been consistently clumsy with Warriors players as well. Like he's the dude who fell on KD and he's kind of just throwing his body around as a rule. Uh, but in slow motion, man, that it does not look great for my guy Zaza. And I thought the, the play with Kawhi was borderline enough so that he deserved punishment. And this is even more, I mean, like, I don't know how you see that and, and like defend him really. And I think that the NBA should step in and punish him if, if only to set a precedent for like cleaning things up and saying that, look, at some point, even if you're clumsy, if, if you're hazardous to other players, like it's you're, it's going to cost you. And uh, like I don't I don't know what they'll do, but that was my read on it. 
Have you ever seen the police dog training where like they put the guys in the big suits and they just like sick the attack dogs on them and then the dogs like <laughs> jump and like rip their their bodies to shreds and they sort of fall down like they're not really in control sort of like sumo suits. Yeah. I feel like Zaza is always being attacked by a police dog. Like that's his level of body control. The way he falls and maneuvers, <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> it honestly looked like there was a ghost on the court and and he got shoved over. Um yeah, I it but again, that's part of why I love him, you know? He's like a big buffoon on uh, in the mix with the greatest team we've ever seen. You know what I want to see though? I saw the the Twitter reel going around of like his, you know, worst hits, you know, in terms yeah. of all the different people that he's sort of accidentally injured. I want to see a Twitter reel of his half-hearted teammates coming to his defense because they were out in full force <laughs> again this time. It's like, oh yeah, you know, Nick Young's yellow shoe tripped him clearly, you know, like let's do our Zapruder film analysis to try to like let Zaza off the hook, man. These guys, they can't even lie straight. Yeah. Uh, all right. So before we move on, one, give me, give me a take on Pop openly recruiting LeBron once, once more here. Before the game yesterday, he, ta- he was praising his social activism. Are you reading this as, as free agency recruiting efforts? You know, there's sometimes when in life you'll have your best friend and you don't know if you should marry your best friend or not. I mean, that's really what's happening here. I mean, these two guys are soulmates and they're sizing each other up. They're circling each other and they're just afraid to commit for the long haul. I don't understand what the fear factor is. Just come out and say, LeBron, you're signing in San Antonio this summer. It's time to do it. You need that. You need that mentorship. You need that relationship. You want to have a a united front politically with Greg Popovich. The other pieces are in place. I mean, just get it done. I don't understand why we have to, you know, flirt so heavily, you know, when everyone realizes the true nature of this relationship. The dream is very much alive. Uh, and it's it's a beautiful thing. Uh, the other thing I would add is, did you see the Philly billboards today in, in Cleveland? Uh, yeah, it's ramping up, isn't it? <laughs> like, I saw that and started thinking like, a dream of mine would be to have Cleveland just peppered with various billboards from other cities recruiting LeBron this spring. Like the Lakers could get in the mix. Popovich could buy a billboard downtown. I think that's that should be a goal for the NBA community. I love that, Andrew. You know, there's this Highway 77 that leads between Cleveland and Akron. It goes right by <laughs> Cuyahoga Valley National Park. I think Every single fan base needs to just get some billboards alongside that freeway. It can't be very expensive. It's lots of open country, farmland. The further south you get, LeBron's got to make that drive, you know? Yeah. Cleveland to Akron. Just <laughs> go ahead and just line them up. I mean, you know, it could be casinos and like strip clubs and then, you know, 28 NBA teams coming after LBJ. Absolutely. Get the Rockets in there, you know? O- open season. Um, but let's move on. Wait, uh, by the way, though, I think that's probably the least effective form of advertising at this point, right? I mean, billboards, haven't they been pretty much like pushed to the side by like targeted digital advertisement? Like, if you really want to ramp this up, shouldn't people be trying to like serve ads to LeBron on social media? You know, whatever, wherever he is really the most engaged during his day. I, I can't imagine as he's driving along, filming himself, listening to music <laughs> on his phone, he's going to be looking out the window to see, oh yeah, I'm going to go play with the Sixers. I, I mean, come on. I don't know though. It may be a case of billboards being called overrated for so long that they're now underrated because I mean, look, when you're driving oh, out, you, market correction. <laughs> you can't miss a billboard, okay? I think we're assaulted with advertising in so many other ways, particularly online. 
billboard though, that's nice and analog. You're you're stuck on the road. You can't miss it. So I think it's money well spent from some misguided Sixers fans. If I were a Sixers fan, I wouldn't necessarily want LeBron coming in there. Uh, it's funny to think about how quickly they would trade like someone someone like Robert Covington if LeBron signed there. But um, anyways, it's time to move on. But first, Ben, today's show is brought to you by Buffalo Wild Wings. It's that time again. That familiar crossroads of choosing between the NBA and college basketball is here. You can't choose. They're both on. Ben, what do we do? Relax, Andrew. <laughs> we have a solution. Buffalo Wild Wings. Rather than fill your living room with TVs, just come into the B-dubs. We've got basketball, college basketball, everything you'd like, all playing on dozens of screens so you don't have to choose. And to complete the trifecta, we can ensure that you have access to all the sports foods that you crave. From our selection of America's favorite wings in any of our 21 signature sauces and seasonings to shareable favorites like cheddar cheese curds and fried pickles you'll have everything you wanted andrew didn't you say it's all about the apps last week it's all about the the apps apps. i would i would kill for some cheddar cheese curds i mean we got conference tournament season coming up like i could conceivably spend 72 hours in a buffalo wild wings next weekend oh my god i thought you were going to say 72 dollars on apps (laughs) i could do that too i could do that too Buffalo Wild Wings also has a variety of beers to quench your thirst and all the basketball, all the NBA, all the college hoops, along with all the apps you could ever need. Buffalo Wild Wings, wings, beer, sports. Please drink responsibly. Andrew, relax. Come on into B-dubs, okay? (laughs) Come on into B-dubs. All right, let's get back to it. The one thing I want to talk about before we dive into the mail is... The play-in tournament. What do you think of the proposal from Adam Silver? He, I think he threw out like a play-in tournament from the from seventh place to tenth place. What as as a tanking solution? It still hasn't been explained to me how this addresses tanking whatsoever. But give me your reactions. I mean, I guess the theory is if you're a team like the Charlotte Hornets and you're bad but you're not horrible and you don't have any reason to play hard down the stretch of this season, right? Mm-hmm. This would give you that, you know, that lift up potentially back into the playoff picture. Uh, my big issue with this plan is that nobody cares about the ninth and 10th seeds ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that's the treadmill of mediocrity. They're boring. I don't want them to play more games. I don't want them to really, uh, you know, be given a showcase. You know, if anything, I just want to get straight to the playoffs. So, um, I don't know. Uh, I, I understand the people who say, hey, you know, one game, single elimination, that's interesting. I don't love that idea because you play 82 games for a reason, right? And even if you shorten the schedule, you play 70-something games for a reason. So now we're going to penalize teams for just not showing up one night, even though they were supposed to be the seventh seed. I, I just don't like it. I think it's a little too hokey. It's a little too try-hard for me. I think we should focus on fixing or just you know tweaking the current uh, you know playoff format rather than expanding the playoff format because... We already have teams right now who don't deserve to be in the playoffs. And I'm looking at, you know, most of the teams that are like six, seven, eight seeds, you know, on any given year. Yeah. Uh, why are we trying to add more teams that don't belong? Yeah. I mean, first of all, there's no question that it further devalues the regular season, which is already too long. And I'm sure that if they ever were to implement this, it would it would be in conjunction with shortening the regular season to like 75 games or something. 
But still, I mean, if you're limiting it to the 10th seed, I, like, I'm not sure what you're really accomplishing. And, uh, I mean, this is kind of screwed up, but my broken brain would rather watch, like, the worst teams in the league play for something at the end of the year. Like, I would love to see the Suns and Kings suddenly thrown into a, like, end-of-year tournament rather than watching, like, just, like, the treadmill of mediocrity uh, Hornets. Like, why do we need to pause the league for a week to watch the Hornets and Heat play a three-game series? Like, that's not entertaining to me. Um, You're a a pioneer in end-of-year analysis, so you're advocating for the the toilet cup. That's that's kind of what I'm thinking. So this goes back to... My old boss, Bill Simmons, had an idea for like an entertaining as hell tournament for the final two seeds of the playoffs. And like for reasons that you outlined, I'm not sure I really support like filling out the playoff bracket like this. But one thing that I was thinking of as Adam Silver throws out potential tanking solutions and tanking deterrence, like first of all, I think part of part of this, there are two things to address here. Number one, I think that the NBA sees that the TV money is going to begin to dry up on the next TV deal. I mean, it's not going to disappear, obviously, but it's the league is not going to be as lucrative as it has been, and they're going to have to find new ways to continue to grow the revenue pool if they want to keep growing. And so that's number one, and this is this is part of the reason that they're going to start trying stuff like this. But number two... If we're worried about tanking, it would be a lot of fun to throw the worst eight teams into a tournament and just make them play for the number one pick and the number two pick and and just throw it out there like that. Oh, I was kind of hoping that basically we would get the six or seven most depressing teams and then the team that manages to lose that tournament could get something and just like see the worst possible basketball like <laughs> to see people <laughs> just see if we can within the anti-tanking yes. tournament exactly I mean, that's that would be more entertaining <laughs> wouldn't it i mean i you know i don't know i think any of this is only going to appeal to the absolute sickest of like hardcore basketball fans, but yes, I would I would sign up for that as well. Um, uh, we should. The only tournament that actually I want to see, and it's not even to do with the end of the season. I just think there should be some way they could mix the NBA global games with, uh, say, like the division winners. So you take the six previous year division winners and kind of have them play each other in a series of those global games then whoever has the best record at the end of the global games you know when they're playing those games in china or london or wherever it might be uh they get some cup you know like the champions cup or whatever and and you kind of mix the nba's desire to be a little bit more global with uh you know an extra recognition for teams that have you know accomplished something by winning their division the previous year and then you know maybe you spark you know a few extra random uh, you know, excitement uh, during these midseason games. Cause right now they go play in Mexico city and nobody cares. But like, if there was a cup attached to that somehow, uh, I feel like that might be, uh, you know, at least twice as interesting as it currently is, which is still very, very not interesting. Yeah. But well, I don't know. I, I, I'm over all these ideas, man. I think it's been talked to death and I don't think anyone's come up with something that's really that compelling. So the other, the other question and kind of the underlying concern with some of this, I saw a stat where, They've combined for 45 straight losses at the bottom of the league. This is among like seven or eight teams. 
And I mean, it's it the stretch run this year in this this our final year of like traditional tanking is going to be pretty rough. Um, so how do you how do you think the league should address that, if at all? I mean, you asked me if I'm concerned. I'm not concerned because I'm not naive. I mean, it's been going on forever. I mean, just we have nine teams who are going to be tanking hard at least this year. And it's going to make for some hilarious moments in late March. I mean, I kind of like those games when the coaches are like getting disappointed because their teams are actually winning games accidentally. It's funny. It kind of makes a mockery of the whole system. It's a terrible look for the league. Um, (laughs) Adam Silver. (laughs) I mean, Adam Silver has his idea though, right? It's just they couldn't get it implemented for this season. So he's going to have to wait one year. And until that uh, time, we should just go through and, you know, log on to tankathon.com constantly, you know, look for all the highlight clips of guys who are, you know, sort of screwing their teams over by actually playing well, and then look for the most egregious lineup decisions uh, in terms of how many, you know, teams are throwing out, you know, lineups with like three centers simultaneously, or, you know, five guys who are under six, four or whatever they might be able to do, because you're going to see a lot of weirdness because there's so many teams tanking. There's a lot of head to head matchups between those teams and that's really where it it gets good i mean that's basically the toilet bowl idea of what i was saying earlier yeah it's it's a it's a tough situation because i think you and i are are almost immune to it because we watch so much basketball that like a king's sons game is is entertaining in some perverse way as a as a sideshow but uh but if i were the league i would be i would be a little concerned and i also don't think that like next year's lottery reform is really going to reduce any incentive to to lose on purpose um and and the tricky thing is well the go ahead well i think the league should be more than just a little concerned because they've taken this insane approach where they just pretend that tanking doesn't exist and they deny it you know and then they have to find anyone who mentions it's a possibility if you had just been a little bit softer over the years, it'd been like, yeah, we understand, you know, player development or whatever. But when you're in complete denial about it being uh, an issue, and then you have nine teams outright, uh, you know, trying not to win for a month and a half, that's not good. Well, and not only are they trying to lose, but they should be. Like we would be kind of, we would be killing the yes. Knicks if they weren't trying to lose right now. And uh, so I don't know. the The only way to really eliminate tanking is to just blow up the draft and uh, and and come up with a completely separate model. And we may get there. That could be entertaining too, but that's probably a, a separate discussion. Um, Still, uh, I don't want them to do the play-in tournament. It is kind of lame. And I understand that Adam Silver is feeling himself after the All-Star game. But uh, unless unless it's going to inc- include the Lakers, Suns, and Kings and make them play for the number one pick, that I'm in for. But uh, Well, hold on a second. What if Adam Silver is just kind of like smart like a fox here and he realizes that guys like you and me are just going to talk about tanking nonstop for the next two months unless he like throws us off the scent a little bit. So maybe <laughs> yeah. he's just going to come out with like a really dumb idea for a tournament every week or two over the course idea. of the next six weeks so that we'll you know, spend five or 10 minutes shooting down how dumb it is rather than focusing on, you know, the Dallas Mavericks rotations and, you know, the Phoenix (laughs) Suns latest 40 point laws. Believe me, I promise Adam Silver, I have no thoughts on the Dallas Mavericks rotations currently, but, um, Eden says, let's move on to some questions. He says, since he's been balling out lately, do you think Damian Lillard will ever win an MVP? I wouldn't be shocked if he won it next season or the season after. What do you think, Ben? It's been a while since we talked about the Blazers. 
A uh, little, little while. Uh, this is what I mean, though, about throwing these kind of mediocre candidates into the mix, and you know, it's an annual ritual. Like, oh yeah, if they finish hold with on, the four or five on. seed, Look, you know, maybe he's like six or seven. To but be come clear, on. this guy's not clear, an MVP. Lillard has been awesome the last couple of weeks. I mean, he's. I I understand he may be mediocre relative to like James Harden's candidacy, but he has been on another level for a solid month here. Andrew, would you have him on your ballot right now, top five? Uh, no, but to answer Eden's question, okay. here, hold on, okay. though. Hold on. I think that Damian Lillard should demand a trade uh, starting this summer. And I think that in a different context, like if Lillard were playing the Kyrie role in Boston, he would absolutely be in the MVP conversation because he's just been that good. But Kyrie's not in the MVP conversation, is he? No, I mean, but Lillard's been really? better than Kyrie. He's just kind of marooned in Portland on a team with like six or seven bad contracts and guys who aren't really helping him. Okay, so he's also recorded like 15 or 20 different rap songs about loyalty, and he's pledged his allegiance to the Blazers <laughs> true. for like, a, you know, basically since the day he was drafted. So do you think there's any situation where that would spoil for him? Uh, I mean, are are you just praying that he got freed? I mean, is, is there any substance to sort of what you're saying or are you just hoping? I'm, I'm hoping. As a fan of Lillard's game, I don't see many paths to relevance with that Blazers core. And I also like, there's just not very much flexibility for them. And I like... The, the dream for me would be to get Lillard in Philly next to Simmons and Embiid. And, uh, I mean, if he, if he went to Paul Allen and demanded a trade, like, that becomes a possibility. Yeah, I, I also think that would raise the question, though. I mean, he'd probably be their second best player if he went to Philly, you know? So he's, he's probably not in that MVP conversation either way. I mean, if he goes to a situation like Boston, okay, yes, I could see that where the ball's in his hands all the time. He's still getting his scoring numbers. He's just playing with better structure. His team's got elite defense, and he's got enough help on the wings to kind of keep it going. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I just think he's he's very good. You know, he's probably the fifth or sixth best point guard in the league. Uh, you know, he's probably a right around 8 to 10 in terms of the MVP race. But again, because of the recency bias and because people want to forget, oh, he missed some time earlier this season and Portland's record really isn't that good. And a big part of his uh, mystique, by the way, Mm -hmm. is like Dame time, the clutch play. You know, Portland is basically 500 in in clutch games this season. Lillard shoots 30% on clutch threes this season and his plus minus is basically zero in clutch situations this season. So yes, he hits a game winner against Phoenix because they've been trying to lose for three straight seasons and it was a big miraculous fourth quarter comeback earlier this weekend. People want to get excited about it. (laughs) Not a great sign that you're going to the wire with the Suns. 100%, but it's also just not representative of his overall body of work in those situations. And so I think it's very easy for highlight culture and for, uh, you know, the guys who take a lot of shots in the clutch to have a lot of those memorable moments. But, you know, look at the overall portfolio. It's not nearly as strong as his advocates would want you to believe. That's fair. And objectively, I understand that he is like a rich man's Kemba Walker as opposed to like bizarro Steph. Um, But he is still... Like even aside from the it's for me, it's not really about the end of game stuff. He is still just like super, super productive as a scorer from the point guard spot. And uh, and I think that in a different context, we would appreciate him a little bit more. 
Uh, okay, moving on, we have a question from Max, uh, who says, The Denver Nuggets, I think you guys shrugged them off a bit, and I want to argue that they are the future of the NBA. Everybody in their starting lineup is under 25 years old. Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, and Nikola Jokic are looking likely to be their big three. In five years' time, when LeBron, Steph, Katie, and Harden are getting their jerseys retired, the Nuggets could be ruling the NBA. All right, Ben, I will let you respond first. <laughs> well, I appreciate you including this one and not some of the harsher emails that were getting really mad at me for calling them the softest team <laughs> in the league. Uh, well, to be fair to look, to be fair to Nuggets fans, we got like a couple really mean Nuggets emails, and then we got a couple really nice Nuggets emails from people who are like, "Listen, I know you guys." Don't have a chance to watch every single game in the NBA every single night. But I just want to say that after a so-so couple of months, the Nuggets have been playing really, really well, and you guys should tune in. I think you'll enjoy it. It was like some of the kindest pushback we've ever gotten. So shout out to the handful of respectful Nuggets fans, and uh, I'll let you take it from here. Yeah, I mean, they did a really nice job limiting to Harden, Harden to 27 points in the first half. Uh, I really appreciated that. It was, you know, big, big showcase game for them on uh, this weekend, and they got, you know, basically walked all over. No, I, look, I think there's a lot of reason for optimism in Denver based on the youth aspect, like this emailer mentions. There's no question, if you look at their core, it's one of the better fitting, uh, just more logically constructed and potent cores uh that are out there you know mm-hmm. i don't know if they're going to be winning titles like this guy suggests but you know they're very solid um but when you look right now like are they ready to do it i mean they've been blown out basically smacked by houston twice now i do give them credit because they didn't fold up in the fourth quarter and they tried to make it pretty interesting uh on sunday but their defense is just unsophisticated or uh you know, just basically, be, you know, they're, they're laying back, waiting to be exploited. I mean, Houston just gets into any switch they want. They get hardened onto Jokic constantly. You know, Jokic, bless his heart, is trying, but he looks like he's got severed legs on ice skates out there when he's, you know, guarding the three-point line. <laughs> and Harden is getting to... <laughs> Harden's getting to any spot that he wants. You know, he looks like he's on stubs and he's just kind of like, you know, what are you you supposed to do? You can't have a slow footed seven footer, you know, trying to get, you know, Chris Paul and James Harden in one on one coverage on the perimeter. It's just not going to work. And so to me, that's a fundamental flaw for them. Yeah. Uh, The way Chris and and Harden were exploiting that just time after time after time to get uh, those one on one situations and they had no adjustment for it. So it's not all Jokic's fault, right? But they're not really uh, in a position where any of their other guys are real high IQ defenders that you could send help or like, you know, switch back or whatever it is. It's just soft. And the number of baskets they gave up going to the hoop, the number of times they're forced to foul. And yes, Harden gets foul calls on everybody, but uh, their just defense is not up to snuff at all right now. And it makes them, to me, you know, kind of an easy out in the postseason because some of their offensive stuff is going to dry up. There's no question once the scouting's involved. Uh, Jokic is gassed in the third quarter, I and mean, he's their best player. He puts up another triple double, had a nice game. But I mean, this guy needs an oxygen tank to kind of keep up with the best of the best in the NBA. And if your best player is at that stage of his career right now, I don't see why we have to be taking these guys so seriously and showing them all this deference that their fans demand. I mean, they're just not there yet. Yeah. Well, in Denver's defense, the Rockets make almost every team in the league look ridiculous. And so 
that I but 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 here's the thing though they're at home they're supposed to have this amazing home court advantage no, no they're question. really good at scoring not only and they want to be in shootouts right not only that after like tearing through the league over the last couple of weeks they were ta- like nuggets fans were talking about that game as a big game that was going to be a test and they did not pass because the the rockets are incredible and the nuggets have some limitations which you've described the my reaction to this question though is uh, I have a, a couple different reactions actually because number one, while his reasoning sort of makes sense in terms of like like the, the current age of these guys and what you would expect over the next four or five years, it's like development is rarely linear and it's hard to imagine like Jokic. It's hard to imagine him getting that much better than he already is. Um, Gary Harris is sort of in that same category where like. We're kind of seeing them in their prime right now, and I, n- I understand that sounds insane because of how young Jokic is. But like, I'm just not sure how much he's going to be able to improve because the things that he's bad at, like defense, I don't know if he's ever going to be very good at defense. And it's also tricky because you would want to pair him with like a Clint Capella type guy, but he is less effective with another center like that. And uh, and th- we've already seen that in Denver. Like those experiments have kind of failed. So. A lot of this is going to fall on Jamal Murray's development. And I don't know. I mean, like once every three or four games, Jamal Murray is the player that Nuggets fans say he is. But then a lot of times he's just kind of like there and um, it isn't quite as aggressive as you'd want. And granted, this is like year three for him. So he's he can get better. But um, I'm not like that confident that he's going to turn into the superstar sidekick. I think he's going to be like on the bubble of, of the all-star game, sort of like CJ McCollum. And uh, the bigger picture though, is Denver's management has already made a number of mistakes that I think are going to complicate the, like the future for them. And uh, so I'm, I'm just not super confident in them being able to like, I, I don't, I don't trust the management team basically. Yeah, and they have a hard time, you know, getting anybody to go there, right? So it's going to have to be on this internal development. Just quick fact check on Murray. He's year two, not year three. He's quite young, and I agree wholeheartedly with your point about basically his ability to fulfill his ceiling is going to carry how far this team really goes yeah. and how seriously we have to take them in, in, in three or four years. But I think one one important point on that, he has to be elite offensively because I don't think he's going to be able to really get it done defensively on a high, high enough level to be – uh, you know, one of these guys where, you know, you're, you're an A minus on offense and you're an A minus on defense. Like to me, he has to be an A plus on offense to make up for his defense, if that makes sense. And I, I do think that complicates things again, because how many guys ever make that big of a jump at that position? Yeah. Uh, you know, so th- to me, he's their X factor for sure. But yeah, I mean, they're, their roster makes no sense at all. They've got 15 million power forwards. We've been over that. Like, uh, you know, they, I just... I mean, look, everybody's going to kill them for the Plumley contract, the, you know, the, the Trey Lyles for like Donovan Mitchell for Trey Lyles trade looks awful. Now it's unfair to ding them too much for that. But I mean, it's, it didn't make sense on draft night and, and Donovan Mitchell did make sense as a third guard who was going to give you some nice two way potential and cover for Jamal Murray's weaknesses. So that's number one. But then also like, even when you look at the Nurkic trade, like I don't understand why you trade for Mason Plumley. I don't understand why you give him the deal that he got. Like there've just been a lot of 
little examples of asset mismanagement. And they were also trying to throw a bunch of money at Dwayne Wade two summers ago. So it's that would be the biggest reason I, I don't have like a ton of faith. It's just like the management is shaky. And then Jokic, like, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. I will say this. I, they are going to be a team that like whoever they play in the playoffs, I will be rooting for Denver to win because they, they're a team of bucket getters after my own heart. I just don't have like that much faith in them hitting a, the, the elite tier. Yeah, I mean, paying Fareed when they did and having his value like basically immediately crater. I mean, I think uh, his first move in Denver uh, was to pay J.J. Hickson when he was coming off like the ultimate popcorn stat season. I mean, that was just a, a mess. And then again, this is a team that's not going to be able to fill out around their young core. It's not going to be a destination market when you if you go two years down the line. Are you, you think there's going to be tons of free agents who are going to be lining up to you know, play around Jokic and Murray and, and Harris? Probably not. And they've got a lot sunk in Paul Millsap here too, right? And so he needs to come back this season and be the guy they're paying him to be like for that playoff series if they're going to have a chance to win a series. And then next year, he's got to enjoy better health and play like the all-star he was, you know, say a year or two ago in Atlanta because otherwise that's a huge portion of their cap that's going to a player that, you know, the impact might not be there. And I think that's sort of the big concern for their timeline is like, Millsap was kind of, you know, a Band-Aid, an in-between fix, and they were right to sign him because they hadn't signed anybody in five years, so might as well take a shot. But once he fades, you know, what's your backup plan and, and what kind of quality player are you going to get to be able to, uh, to replace him? Uh, to me, that's the open question. Plus, you're going to have to pay all these young guys a lot because they're going to have Denver over a barrel. You know, I mean, yeah. I, I think we're going to see that with Jokic and Murray. I mean, those guys are, are going to be at full price. You're not getting discounts. Yeah, I'm just pissed that Donovan Mitchell isn't on this team uh, because I can't imagine a team I would love more. Um, anyways, moving on, we got we got a couple quick questions at the end here. First, from Michael, he says, we've seen the rise of threes taken and Mori Ball in the NBA, and this is all due to the analytics saying threes are worth more than twos in most circumstances, obviously. Why has this taken so long for the NBA to adopt? The math has always been there. Why has it taken so long for the NBA to realize what's obvious and shoot this many threes? What do you think? Well, I think the math only works if you can make them, right? And I think when you're looking back at the 80s, a lot of teams could not make them because the concept didn't exist. I mean, imagine you're a kid growing up practicing basketball uh, in a pre-three-point line era. Are you ever going to step out to 25 feet like Steph? You know, Are you ever going to... I mean, you might do it every once in a while as a joke, but your coaches are saying, hey, get in here. It's just a completely different era and different style. So I think the argument really is, why was it so gradual here over the last, like, say, 15 years, you know, once people had grown up practicing three-point shots, getting better at it. Um, and I think, uh, you know, maybe some teams were a little bit slow to get there, but hitting three-point shots uh, with defenses keyed on you off the dribble or even in, in quick catch-and-shoot situations is absolutely a super practice skill. Not everybody can do it, and it takes years and years of work to get there. So it doesn't totally surprise me that it took basically a full generation, uh, you know, essentially like 25 to 30 years for this moment to arrive. And I think what's crazy to think about is like, what will it look like in 20 years, you know, once everyone's grown up shooting threes from birth, like Steph Curry did. Right. Um, and I think that's where some of the speculation about a four point line and all that other stuff comes from is because at some point it will be too easy. And I don't think we're there yet. Um, uh, but 
clearly the amount of emphasis and time and of player development at a young age on three-pointers today compared to even 1990 or 2000 is significantly higher. There's no question. Can I offer a bit of a hotter take than that? Why not? Because I think that you're letting the old timers off easy on this one. Like I have thought about this several times over the last couple years because it is obvious and guys like Dr. Jack Ramsey, like they've got some explaining to do because I understand. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I understand. Look, three is more than they two. They didn't even have a three-point line when he won the title. Come the on. Math, you know, 1977, look, there was no three-point line. That, okay, that's a fair point. I'm just saying the math has always been there. And since the three-point line was adopted, and look, I understand that you're saying most guys couldn't shoot threes, but like Larry Bird was still only taking one or two threes a game. I mean, Pistol Pete Maravich could shoot from 30 feet out. Like, he was Steph before Steph. And all those guys were coached not to, to shoot from distance. So I would just chalk this yeah, up it, to it, some people in sports not being, like, particularly bright or intellectually curious. And <laughs> no shots at Dr. Jack Ramsey. I'm just saying that I think it took longer because pe- the, a lot of people in sports are, are stubborn, basically. I think there's some truth to that, but remember, it's not just about the stars being able to hit it, the best players being able to hit it, because there's always been really elite shooters, right? It's about the average guy who you can stick in the corner, and can he deliver on the math? Like, you know, can that, you know, third or fourth or fifth wheel type guy hit that shot? Yeah. And if you look back, like, I'm, I'm just looking at 1990 right now, like league average three-point shooting was 33%. You know, there's a bunch of teams who are shooting below 30%, I mean, that is not going to pencil out for you, even in 1990, right? Like that eventually is going to kind of come back to haunt you. And so uh, it would have required more risk on behalf of the coaches to, you know, trust players who hadn't really practiced those skills to do it. Um, And I could see why a lot of coaches, when you're constantly being on the hot seat and in fear of being fired, you know, wouldn't uh, be willing to take on that risk. So uh, I think what you're describing is definitely a phenomenon, but you know, to have, you know, two or three hundred capable three-point shooters like we have currently, that's not something that's going to develop overnight. Like, yes, there was enough guys to fill out the three-point contest in 1987, right? Yeah. But, but you know, now we could have a three-point contest made up entirely of seven-footers. We could have a three-point contest made up entirely no, look, of stretch fours. We your could point have, is well you know, taken. It's just a whole different environment. Your point is well taken. All I'm saying is that some of the Mori ball stuff has been like discussed as if it's some epiphany when the math is actually really simple. And it, and there have been a number of times where I've thought to myself, like, how did everyone miss this in 1985 when Larry Bird was playing? That's all I'm saying. And, uh, you know, respect to Dr. Jack and anyone else out there. Well, look, I mean, if if Robert Parrish could hit threes, he'd probably be out there taking them. You know, it's just like, it really, I mean, there's a big difference in terms of how their entire worlds were oriented and what they were trying to accomplish on the court. And, you know, rule changes have kind of opened things up too, well, I think too, you know. And we've been over this before, but I already miss the scrappy point guards who couldn't shoot at all. Like guys, like, I mean, I guess Dennis Johnson was could shoot a little bit, but like, that era of point guards who were like defense first, get to the rim, and otherwise they weren't really doing much on the court, like don't really exist anymore. Um, I guess Rajon Rondo was like the last of of that archetype. Um, and I, I enjoyed watching them. So pluses and minuses with the new era. Um, 
Moving on, though, Joel says, with Jimmy Butler calling out Lou Williams about the All-Star controversy, saying he'd play him one-on-one for 100K, I think this should officially be a thing. Anyone who feels snubbed for an All-Star game gets to call out any All-Star they want and challenge them to a Black Panther ceremony where they play one-on-one on Saturday to get the right to play in the Sunday All-Star game. Can we please make this happen? Um, I am 100% in for the Black Panther one-on-one ceremony before the All-Star game. I think that might be a little bit of a tougher sell than televising the uh, All-Star draft every year. But particularly if you can find a waterfall, I would I would be in. Have you seen Black Panther, Ben? Haven't seen it yet, Joel. And no, we cannot make this happen. You're <laughs> stuck with the Rising Stars, the Skills yeah. Challenge, the three-point contest, and the Slam Dunk Contest in their current forms. They will not change, and you will not get anything better no matter what. That would, yes. I think that's it's important to, to go in with clear eyes on this one. Um, this is never going to happen. No, it's... Well, it's it's unfortunate, though, that something like this couldn't happen. I mean, first of all, we have all these like player funded companies now uninterrupted. Like let's get this, you know, someone's got a hundred K to put up for this. If, if Jimmy Butler is really willing to do that, we can film this. This doesn't have to be an NBA licensed production, right? Can't we just put this on uh, you know, YouTube yeah. or, and, or and something really, like that? Your best bet is with a handful of players who are just crazy. <laughs> like Jimmy Butler is crazy enough to do that. And like, Maybe Mark Wahlberg would fund the game. Uh, Jimmy Butler, like one of his best friends, is Marky Mark. Um, and I would love to see Lou Williams. I think, who would you like in that game? Oh, Jimmy Butler, come on. I mean, even with the injury, you know, I take him on crutches. That's true. Only because Jimmy could take Lou Williams in the post and just body him. And I, I, I think Jimmy Butler could probably score 100 straight points on Lou Williams just because of his strength. Yeah, I mean, and Lou's a one-way guy. I mean, no disrespect. I mean, he's getting he's getting buckets, but like if you're playing one-on-one, you have to go the other way. I mean, there's you know you got no help. DeAndre Jordan's not going to hide behind the back you know the backboard in this one-on-one game to like come and spike shots to help his guy out. Like that's that's not how one-on-one works. But I think Joel needs to think bigger than just having this at All Star Weekend. And I think we need an entirely an alternate all-star weekend and maybe it's not during the season maybe it's sort of an off-season summit or something like that but the players have done the players choice awards they did their own fashion show one year i mean i think if it was just a players only like maybe a a players union sponsored event where we could have these kinds of maybe a horse competition maybe pig one-on-one that would get viewers i mean they could probably maybe make their own uh, sponsorship deals i don't know that could get a little dicey and legal uh, gray area but <laughs> i think we're we're hoping the players save this i don't think we can ask the nba to incorporate these great ideas that joel had yeah well you should see black panther it's pretty good and uh i basically i just want to find that the waterfall that's depicted the wakanda waterfall and you can schedule any bullshit basketball event there and i will tune in but um, your well, your point is well taken. We could we can find some ways to get creative over the summer. Uh, next question, though, from a, an old friend, Candice. She says, "I'm currently at the oh. Wizards game, and it's never been more evident that this is the worst home court atmosphere in the league." I actually think about this every time I'm here, and I'm here a lot. First of all, no one cheers during the lineup intros. The embarrassing welcome to D.C. video doesn't help. Let's be clear. No one is that proud to live here. It's just (laughs) shots left and right from Candace. I don't know how to feel about any of this, but she continues to say, 
Tonight, part of the scoreboard is broken. A perfect representation of how little the fans care about the team and how little the team cares about us. <laughs> and finally, the fans have this need to cheer at the most ridiculous times possible. The Wizards hit a three to end the half to cut the Hornets' lead to 12, and the, cl- and the crowd literally erupted. I'm sure everyone will go wild again in, in the fourth quarter when they want their free Chick-fil-A. Also, a whole, a whole quarter has passed since I started rage typing this, and we are now down by 17 points to the Charlotte Hornets. Help! Ben, do you have any responses? I have some thoughts. Well, I knew she was one of our smartest listeners. I mean, there's no doubt. Um, first of all, 100% accurate in describing what I've seen on television from the Wizards fans. I mean, you've tried to mount defenses for your for your group in the past, but you know it's pretty pathetic. Um, but I, you know, I also think this says something about the Wizards fan mentality, Andrew, because this has been pretty much the best couple of weeks of your life, right? And what are we focusing on? Chick Fil A and the broken scoreboard and everything else, <laughs> and not not the brilliance of. Sadoransky and Beal and you know Wave Poppy and all the rest of them. The right? brilliance so, of Sadoransky. <sighs> Let's get to the real topic, man. Look, no, I have some thoughts for Candace. Okay, Candace, you are not in Boston. Okay, you are not in Golden State. You are not in <laughs> Portland with the famed Rose Garden fans or whatever. The Wizards are a different vibe, okay? The lean into the apathy. If you want to go to a game where people are fired up and crazy the whole time, go watch a fucking Caps game, okay? Because those people Whoa. come from like the middle of Virginia and get wild the entire time, but it's still hockey. So there are trade-offs there too. I will only say that there it Wizards games and Wizards atmospheres are an acquired taste where you just everyone is kind of laid back barely paying attention and it really sort of like it's like a clear out for the hardcore fans you can get into it and oftentimes it's so quiet that the players on the court will hear you if you scream at them and uh i don't know i I think give it a chance and just kind of lean into how bad it is and you may find yourself enjoying it more you really sound like someone who is trying to convince sports fans to like go to an art gallery for the first time. It's like it's an acquired <laughs> taste, you know. Like it's going to be quiet and kind of weird. You're going to feel out of place. It's going to be a little awkward, but just give it a shot. You might like it, Andrew. Like, why you're so apologetic here? Can't you just be honest and say it's a terrible atmosphere? It, no, it is a terrible atmosphere. But if you keep going okay. and just embrace it, you will come to love it. I will say I will add one addendum to to what I just said. Because I was at the Sixers-Wizards game on Sunday night, and um, that was a little bit more uncomfortable and frustrating because like half the stadium was Sixers fans, and that would be a pretty bad look. If, if, if it's Sixers-Wizards in the playoffs and like playoff games are full of opposing fans, that's when it becomes a problem. But for a, a nothing Hornets game in February, I would rather not have loud fans there. I, li- I like having the stadium to myself. Okay, Candace, what he is saying is this. We're not going to drain the swamp in D.C. We're going to wallow in the swamp. We're going to do elementary backstrokes <laughs> and breaststrokes. We're just going to swim around in the muck and just completely own how terrible it is, and we're going to try to enjoy it. That's that's essentially your advice. You just described like 20 years of Wizards <laughs> fandom for me, so thank you. Yes, absolutely. Um, Reach says, how do you guys see Sadoransky fitting in once Wall returns? Could we see Wall, Sato, Beal, Ubre, and Porter lineups? Uh, look, it's 
All I'm going to say is it's becoming increasingly awkward. There are a lot of like wizards, local media people who are who continue to dismiss the idea that they're better without Wall. But I mean, it's hard to argue with some of these results. Uh, and on that note, the Wizards will probably lose their next three games. But um, well, they have looked really good. I was really impressed. The other night I turned to the box score and it was like 22 assists on 29 shots in the first half. And I was like, holy moly, like Washington, what is Dude, happening? This I'm is, having so this much is impressive fun. stuff. <laughs> like, I love yeah, this So let team. me ask you, I mean, I, I know you're not ready to trade Wall, but what about just buying him out right now? You know, what about just paying him to go? <laughs> Give him the Joe Kim Noah treatment. Just, just send him home, you know, go do your own thing. We'll yeah. work it out with the Players Association. Um <laughs> I don't know, man. It's it's gonna be like the wall stuff is a real thing, and we'll we'll just have to cross that bridge when we get there because I have no idea how he's gonna fit when he gets back. But it is definitely getting interesting. Um, well, in, in terms of his question about the lineups, though, I think going small and smaller and smaller and smaller is super fun when that happens in the postseason. I think Washington is kind of like a stealth candidate to do that. Um, yeah. I mean, essentially what he's saying is play Porter at center. That's pretty wacky. You know, that's pretty wild. It's not going to work on certain matchups. Uh, but I think you would get the most out of Wall. The, you know, the, the more shooters and more space you have on the court. Uh, and same thing for Beal operating in isolation too. So I'm not, I don't think you should go to that constantly, but uh, why not? Try it. See what happens, especially you know against certain matchups where you're not playing against a dominant center. Just see what happens. Yeah, and it's it's a good problem to have. Basically, Kelly Oubre and Tomas Sadoransky are like worlds better than I would have expected at this point in the season. And um, it's we'll we'll see how it shakes out once Wall gets back because really, like if Wall is going to come back and use thirty percent of the possessions and still be like kind of a black hole of bad shots and and like ball dominance then i don't (laughs) it's not gonna end well but hopefully i mean that that's the floor he can only improve on what he was for the first couple months of the season so we'll see and for now there's tomas sadaransky and it's been a lot of fun um but last one to talk warriors here katie says Today, I got to hear my trophy wife analogy on air during the Open Floor podcast, and then I had my very existence questioned. Believe it or not, Ben, most sports theories are formed in the brain, not the penis. Occasionally, us lady folk think about sports also. So, to counter your argument that Luke and I, and a number of other Warriors fans, clearly, are just nitpicking perfection... Let me point out the obvious. The Warriors had the best regular season ever in 2015 and 2016 before suffering from injuries and unjust suspensions. While the addition of KD has led to success in the postseason, it's clear that the team no longer has the sort of magical cohesion that made them so special. I think that having KD on the team has sapped other players of their confidence and agency. The Warriors have started playing KD like he's LeBron when he's actually not even the best player on the, on the team. The kids don't like their new trophy stepmom, and who can blame them when she acts like such a princess? Um, look, there's a lot to respond to there. I, I will let you respond uh, in full, but I just want to say that I thank Katie. I don't know how long she's been listening to Open Floor, but I've been pushing this agenda f- ever since KD went to Golden State, and I completely agree that this is lame and they were much cooler in 2016. So 
Thank you for stating the obvious. We needed we needed a little dose of reality next to Gulliver and his sort of propaganda for the for Golden State. And now Ben, I'll let you I'll let you take it from here. Yeah, I mean, I have a lot of issues with you. First off, because I listen to your podcast with Matt Moore, uh-huh. you know, and so you just kind of like sneak behind my <laughs> back to put out all your theories about how great the. Uh, uh, you know how terrible the Warriors are in ruining the NBA when you don't have anyone kind of pushing back against it. I see. Yeah, that. I think I actually like openly threw you under the bus at one point on that podcast, then blamed blamed you for making me more pro Warriors. No, it's it's fine. I can take that. Look, first of all, Katie, I apologize that I denied your existence. I was very relieved to hear that you were a real human. I think the big issue I had was just the nature and the tone of your husband's writing led me to believe I conflated the theory with his explanation of the theory. Because remember, this guy's email was like, now Katie is going to go lay in bed with another. You know, it just, (laughs) it didn't really sound quite like Katie's voice. And I was glad she emailed us because trophy stepmom acting like a princess. Okay, now I can kind of hear, you know, Katie's own personal vibe coming through with her email. So I think the moral of the story here, Katie openfloormail at gmail.com openfloormail at gmail.com is open to men and women alike you don't need to have your boyfriend write into us They're, you know we we liked your take better when you said it rather than when he uh kind of put it through the uh you know the color machine i just want to be email. clear so, that i agree with both boyfriend and girlfriend in this scenario luke and katie know what's up and they're trying to let you they're yeah. trying to bring you into the light and you're you're still resisting no, y- you're pandering to both. Now, in terms of these below-the-belt shots, another reason why, Katie, I was kind of convinced that you know it, it might not really have been you writing this is because you're basically writing text messages that Andrew sends to me like three <laughs> times a week. You know, the princess stuff. You know, he doesn't really like bring that out publicly, but there's no question he's just Wait, constantly you know, under undercutting Kevin Durant's masculinity because of his decision. I mean, these are bullshit. just things that I have to. I, look, Katie is corny. This is stuff I'm that I have to listen to constantly. Yeah, okay. Well, you've used a few pejoratives in your day to question Kevin Durant, calling him a role player and trying to diminish his accomplishments, right. much like Katie has. And so, uh, look, it, every time I hear anti-Katie se- sentiment, it just kind of all goes together into one giant sharp ball for me. You know, it's just like, oh God, here goes this guy again. So, Katie, I don't agree with you. I don't agree with your boyfriend. Uh, I think... The Warriors are going to keep Kevin Durant this summer, and I think you need to be a little nicer to your new stepmom. You know, welcome uh, him in this Look, case into the family. Your stepmom and is you trying, treat him like a full fledged member. Yeah. The stepmom is trying her hardest or his hardest in this case. But um, with that, I think we should sign off, Ben. Now that we've gone completely off the rails, we will be back Friday. Openfloormail at gmail.com. Open to boyfriends and girlfriends and anyone out there. And uh, yeah, five-star reviews, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, fi- not I guess, Andrew. Come on. <laughs> Have a little backbone. Five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. We need those five-star reviews. We're closing in on 14,000 five-star reviews. We appreciate Open Floor Globe so much. Like Andrew said, send in your questions, comments, concerns, your debates about the under-23 list. We've already gotten a lot of feedback on that. I'm sure we're going to touch on those uh, later this week in the mailbag, Andrew. Uh, and until then, I will talk to you. All right, man. Take it easy. Another great edition of Open Floor is in the books. Did you know Locked On has a daily podcast for all 30 NBA teams? If you're a Lakers fan, search Locked On Lakers. A Celtics fan, search Locked On Celtics. Warriors fans, search Locked On Warriors. 
Yes, all 30 NBA teams have a daily bite-sized podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Search on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team. Or tell your smart speaker to play podcasts, Locked On, your favorite team. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. 